All right, you ready for this? Ready. Salami here, editorial director of the Device Talks conferences, virtual events, and of course, co-host of this here Device Talks weekly podcast. It's great to have you back. Thanks for listening. This is episode number 20. Instead of our normal two-interview format, we're going to do a two-for-one deal. I spoke with a couple of principals at Thrive Early Detection, which closed on a $257 million Series B round earlier this week. Thrive is among a small group of well-funded companies working to create simpler tests for cancer. I'm thinking of Grail and other competitors. So we'll talk with Isaac Kinde, one of the scientific co-founders, about its origins and about its product, CancerSeek. And we'll also talk with Isaac Rowe. He's the CFO, and he'll share some details on how the company managed to raise a quarter of a billion dollars during a pandemic. But first... It's my pleasure to chat with Chris Newmarker, Executive Editor of Life Sciences at Mass Device, to hear what companies made the biggest news this week. Chris Newmarker, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Good day to be Friday, I say. I know about you, Twin Cities, it's heading into the 70s this weekend. Uh, it's a lovely day here in Massachusetts. I've had the windows open, no AC on. I don't know what the weekend holds for us, but we'll uh, keep our fingers crossed. It feels like a good weekend to grill out some brats over here. Get some brats, potentially a beer. Who knows? Like, you know, two beers. So good weekend. So this is episode number 20. Congratulations. Yes, we're here. So I'm thinking for our next episode, for episode 21, we should perhaps just get drunk while we do this. How's that sound to you? Hmm. <laughs> Less appealing. I mean, it's five, it's five o'clock in the world somewhere. Exactly. Right? Yes. This would be the first drunken medtech podcast. I think we'll go for that or not. But uh, what we will do next week, and we're doing it this week, is our top five mass device countdown. Now, this week I did not take a look at the list. So I want to guess. For some reason, I'm feeling like number one, and we won't reveal this until the end of the episode, but number one is going to be Boston Scientific's earnings results. And I don't know why I feel that way. I found the call to be particularly interesting. We don't need to get into why, but that might be a future podcast. But let's hit it. Let's see what the survey says. What is number five, Chris Newmarker? That's a Tom, interesting that you were uh, speaking about uh, Boston Scientific earnings because really like our, our number five story is, is about how, I mean, we're right in the middle of the second quarter you know, earnings seasons. You know, we've been churning out a ton of uh, earnings reports, and you know, for the most part, it's not it's not looking good. Um, a lot of companies are are taking a, a sales beating, you know, you know, amid the uh, the pandemic. But you know, there were a few bright spots, and one of the ones really good to point out is Dexcom. I mean, they uh, you know they blew away the consensus forecast at Wall Street. Their sales were up more than a third in the second quarter, and it's really because they were able to successfully pivot. And uh, and make their continuous glucose monitors available in uh, in U.S. hospitals during the during the crisis. I mean, it's just one way to, you know, have less interaction between hospital you know staff and and patients. You know, you know, be able just to hook them up to you know if they have diabetes to hook them up to CGMs, you know, to to remotely monitor their uh, their blood glucose levels. And so you know that it's really a good story of a company that, 
you know, figured out a way to pivot and actually help out during the pandemic. And, you know, it's really helping uh, their, their results for now. Um, Hologic too. I mean, their sales were a bit down, but I mean, their profits are up 45% and that's, you know, really fueled by, you know, uh, by, a, you know, coronavirus uh, assays. They're, they're really into the testing space. Um, but, you know, for the most part though, I mean, we had results that were better than expected results that are worse than expected, but, Man, these companies are just, you know, really taking taking a sales hit. I mean, down, you know, 24% for Stryker, down 24% for Boston Scientific, down 4.1% for Baxter. And Baxter even makes, you know, a lot of products needed to, to you know, fight the pandemic. Uh, down 13% for Teleflex, uh, down nearly 30% for Smith & Nephew, down 21% for GE Healthcare. I mean, just going on and on. It's, uh, you know, a lot of uh, sales hits during the second quarter. Uh, you know, I've been, you know, hearing CEOs saying that, you know, they are seeing like some of the procedures coming back and, you know, there's a lot of hope that we're going to like, you know, get some stuff back during the, the third and fourth quarters. But for now, like, man, just, you know, their sales are down. So Dexcom at number five, and uh, I should remind people that last month you interviewed uh, Dexcom CEO, Kevin Sayer for the podcast and uh, really yeah, really dug into that strategy. So people should, if they haven't listened to that one, they should definitely go back and find it. It was a great, great conversation. All right. So yeah. what is number four survey says? Well, the number four was uh, Smith and nephew launching. It's uh, it's RI hip navigation sy system uh, for, um, you know, for hip replacement. Woohoo. Uh, woo that's right. There you go. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it's like, I mean, the orthopedic space, especially, it's been tough um, you know, because, I mean, I mean, you know, people, people can sometimes hold up a bit on getting that knee or hip replacement or whatnot. And people don't want to go into, you know, there's a real reluctance, reluctance to go into health providers right now, um, you know, because you don't want to be ex potentially exposed to the virus. But, um, but, you know, you see companies like Smith and Nephew, like really still trying to innovate and, you know, you know, do some cool stuff. And, you know, yeah, they got this new navigation system for hip replacements. And, this, you know, this comes just about two weeks after they uh, launched a uh, next gen surgical robotic system, the Corey system mm -hmm. for uh, for knee surgeries. You know, so they're you know trying to get kind of a niche and really, you know, compete with uh, with Stryker in the space. I mean, Stryker was kind of first out the gate with the Mako robots and, you know, it's been really successful in that space, but, you know, Smith and nephew is uh, definitely seeking to, to compete with Stryker. Well, it's, and it's nice to see that those surgeries are seen as less elective as uh, maybe a few months ago and hospitals are able to, to get those in. So uh, helping, yeah, totally. helping a lot of people in some serious pain. Exactly. All right, let's look at number three. The survey says, well, we've got uh, Baxter and uh, let me see if I can pronounce this right. A uh, Yogo Health. Uh, they're expanding their partnership to uh, for you know kind of like you know digital health products for people with you know kidney disease. Um, and uh, you know it's kind of about like building mobile apps and other digital solutions. Um, but I mean, again, this is something that you know has a, a COVID connection. Mm -hmm. Almost seems like everything these days has a COVID connection, but. Um, you know, there's been a real push to try to get more dialysis into people's homes versus, and, uh, you know, having more digital health solutions kind of reduces the need for, you know, people who need dialysis to interact with healthcare teams, mm -hmm. you know, which any, anything that can, you know, kind of reduce interaction, physical interaction with people is, you know, is good amid the pandemic. And, um, and, you know, this, um, 
this uh, digital health partnership should hopefully help out. That's great. Yeah, it was something we talked about uh, in our July 21st Device Talks Tuesday. So if people are interested in uh, what's going on in dialysis, they should definitely check that out on the website. All right, now let's move. Yeah. Moving on down the line. Number two, survey says. Uh, that's a good old fashioned lawsuit story. Woohoo! Uh, woo yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, we got, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, I've had, uh, you know, experts kind of telling me we're going to see like less lawsuits, more companies trying to settle or, you know, like stay out of, you know, these kind of like legal cases, you know, amid the pandemic because they just don't want to, you know, spend the money on it. But here we have, you know, conformists, um, they, you know, jumped on board a, a Colorado man's denial of benefits lawsuit against Aetna. And now Aetna is, you know, claiming that conformists is just, I, I think they, the phrase they kind of, Aetna's lawyers use is that they're trying to turn the federal employee retirement and income security act on its head. You know, they're saying like, oh, you're trying to piggyback on this guy's, uh, denial benefits lawsuit in order to turn this almost into like a class action to force us to cover your knee implants. So uh, I'm sure the papers are going to just continue to fly in this lawsuit and we'll see how, how things shake out eventually. All right. Well, I cannot stand the suspense, Chris, we're going to have to wait until after my interview with Thrive to find out what the biggest news of the week was. Can you, can you hold on? Sounds great, Tom. And yeah, let's save the best for last. So once again, I spoke with Isaac Kinday and Isaac Rowe for about a half hour yesterday on Thursday. I learned a great deal of how Thrive really wants to upend the cancer diagnosis market. It's going to make it easier, they hope, for diseases, for this disease in particular, for many different types of cancer to be detected during routine physicals using a, a blood test and some other um, steps as well. The company's list of investors is amazing. It's a real who's who, and I know that's a cliche, but it's very true. They've got uh, providers, they've got payers, they've got uh, Third Rock Ventures and other big name investors. So it's a great syndicate. I'll post a link to the article I wrote for Mass Device where they are all listed. And this Series B comes just a year after the company raised over $100 million for a Series A. So we'll find out why Thrive requires so much money. We'll open this interview with Dr. Isaac Kinday. He's a co-founder and head of research and innovation, and he'll talk to us about CancerSeq and how it works. Let's listen. Our approach is um, designed to be simple from both the patient's and physician's perspective. Uh, the way this would work would be, you know, a patient would have a routine blood draw and that blood draw would get sent to our lab. And at our lab, we look for signatures of cancers within these blood samples, uh, specifically circulating tumor DNA and for altered levels of protein biomarkers associated with cancer. And then after we complete the analysis, we would return the result to the physician. And uh, another kind of key component of our approach is that it, you know it's not just a result that we deliver we have a integrated service model which basically is a set of services to help interpret and act on these results hmm. um, as well what is the uh, the origin of the technology thrive actually began decades ago at least conceptually uh through some of the work of our um founders from Johns Hopkins through their discovery 
really of the molecular biology and um, genetics of cancer. And, you know, part of their work has been in discovery, but another important part has been um, developing tools to exploit the discoveries to beat cancer. And as a graduate student in their lab, I helped them develop such tools and apply them in proof of concept studies. And uh, in 2014, we started a company called Pathgene with the intent of bringing this technology to, to patients. Uh, but you know, the idea was at the early beginning was you know, leverage the local talent pool in Baltimore as, long, uh, as well as the resources that Johns Hopkins and Johns Hopkins Technology Ventures provides to local startups. And by 2018, 2019, we were kind of well underway on what ultimately became a, a landmark study for, for one of our, our tests. You know, in the last 14 months, uh, all of the work that was just previewed was really um, accelerated in a significant way because uh, Thrive was formally incorporated uh, as a venture-backed company with that lead investment coming from Third Rock mm-hmm. Ventures, Third Rock being one of the most prominent uh, biotech venture capital groups of the last 10 plus years. And they, along with a number of other premier investors, really catalyzed the growth of this company with over $110 million of funding. And so that funding has really allowed us to bring together a world-class team, uh, put in place an infrastructure, both uh, physically as well as with people that are experts in this field. And so now we're in a position to really uh, bring this technology to the masses. And so, um, you know, 14 months later, um, that's exactly what we set out to do. And that's where we are, which is super gratifying. And, um, you know, as you probably know, uh, we just this week uh, announced the close of our Series B financing. So we now have uh, an additional, you know, uh, infusion, if you will, of uh, over $250 million that um, from here forward will give us tremendous opportunity to bring um, the next steps of the company's development to reality. So um, it's been uh, maybe a long burn <laughs> to get to a point now where in the last 14 months we've put a turbocharger behind it. And um, I think uh, as with many things in life, timing is everything. We have not just our own uh, technological improvements and you know team assembly that I mentioned, but also the fact that we're part of a broader community, you know, a community of companies uh, and scientists who together have, um, you know, started bringing together this idea of liquid biopsy. It's a term that probably was not a common phrase five years ago, but I think five years from now will be very much something that people on an everyday sense will be aware of. It's um, a moment in time where the technologies and um, related entities have all come together to make it possible to to do amazing things with blood testing. And, and that's one of the reasons why personally I was super excited to to be a part of this mission, uh, and it's a privilege. That's, to I, I was actually going to ask that a bit later, but but I, I am curious about your transition. You were from your bio on Wall Street before. You were you're an analyst and involved in that side of the house. This I think is your first startup, right? What what led to that move? Are you just so excited about the story? You wanted to be part of it? Yeah, yeah. I was a Wall Street analyst for 16 years. Most of those years at Goldman Sachs, where my role was to cover the life sciences and diagnostics industries uh, for the most part. And in that capacity, you know, I covered something like, I, I did the math when I left uh, that job. I covered <clears throat> something like 62 public companies <laughs> during that time. It's a lot, right? And, um, you know, I think 
you know, if you learn nothing as an analyst in that capacity, you certainly learn one thing, which is you start to recognize patterns of what really defines success. Um, you'd love for it to be simple, right? Just technology or, you know, great, great leadership, but it's, it's really a combination of things. And really the core ingredients that I saw at Thrive when I was approached really checked all those boxes, right? We had foundational science from the Vogel Scene Lab and Hopkins. Their, their, their reputations preceded cert- certainly, you know, my awareness for many, many years. They were the rock stars of this space. I was thrilled to know they were behind it. I also had great familiarity with Third Rock. They've started more than mm-hmm. 50 companies, the vast majority of whom have continued to be incredibly successful transformative companies in biotech. And, and finally, the leadership team, many of the people that came in to start Thrive from the outside to, to harness a lot of the work Isaac and his team started with, you know, they came from um, a company called Foundation Medicine, which you may know was one of the pioneers in cancer genomics. And so knowing that those three legs of the stool were already in place, I, I was... Um, extremely excited. And I then realized how far along the technology was, um, both scientifically and clinically. And I realized that there was really this moment in time to to have a huge impact. And I was really thinking about this uh, on a multi-year basis. This is really for me, you know, just for transparency, I'm 42 years old. This is a chance for me to, over the next decade of my life, uh, do something that I can be really proud of. Um, uh, And and that's that's why I'm here. So again, it's a privilege. Um, You know, Isaac Hinde in particular, just one of the smartest people you'll run into. I promise you that he is a, tr- a pleasure to work with. And I'm just really excited to be a part of it. That's great. There is something that happens when you turn 40, isn't there? Just, <laughs> you just want to. Generally not good things. This is a good one. This is definitely a, a good one. I need to understand then the company a bit more. I, I, I understood. I thought it was one years old. There's obviously a lot more to it than that. Did, did Pepgene convert into Thrive? Was there an asset transition transfer there? What, what is the connection between the two or is there a connection between the two? Sure. Capgene was was started with very early seed round, uh, followed by uh, approximately uh, $3 million Series A in 2015. And uh, in addition to that um, private uh, capital, uh, we had uh, two um, mm-hmm. government uh, grants and contracts through the uh, NCI um, Small Business uh, and Innovation and, and Research, SBIR um, grants and contracts, totaling a, a approximately $5 million, uh, over uh, over the course of um, a couple years. So that uh, was some of the kind of er- early fundraising um, efforts, uh, followed by an additional, an additional Series A um, uh, approximately a year or two after that. Um, and we've had it, you know, a, uh, started with a, a, a team of, uh, you know, just a, a few people. Uh, and uh, I think we were up to nearly, uh, you know, in the mid 20s um, before um, uh, Thrive, before Thrive came on board uh, last year. But Thrive, did it acquire Pepgene? That's correct. Yeah, Third Rock, you know, there's probably another interesting piece of our origin story, which is that um, our founder, co-founder, Christoph Lengauer, uh, was for many years a part of the Vogelstein Lab. And in that capacity, had a very close relationship with Bert, Nick, and Ken, our founders, and and Isaac. And, um, you know, it was around, I want to say 2018, 2019, that um, actually it was late 2018, I believe, 
that, that Bert and, and Christoph connected over the early work at, on CancerSeq. And um, Christoph at that time was a, it, it was and continues to be a partner at Third Rock Ventures and came to the realization that there was a huge opportunity to help Papgene, you know, bring its technology to the next level. And so in going back to the Third Rock partnership, you know, worked with them to put together a plan to acquire Papgene, reconstitute the company with the Series A funding that I mentioned earlier um, and call it Thrive. And so that's how we started. Um, as, as Thrive last spring. And, um, you know, I joined right around that time in, in June and a number of the other team members as well. And um, we started at that point with less than 30 people and today we're over 100. So um, as I mentioned, that turbocharger dynamic, it's really been a, a wild ride in the last 14 months to um, really lean into the opportunity that we have with all these new re resources. And so, um, you know, I think we should give tremendous credit, not just to the Vogelstein team, but also the Papgene team, who really, the, the people who um, brought this technology to life, um, you know, who most of whom still are with us, mm -hmm. um, continuing the mission. Absolutely. No, that's a, that's a great story. I want to focus just on the financing, then we'll go back to, to CancerSeq. Uh, so what was your target for this round? We had set a goal of raising $250 million mm -hmm. um, this summer. And of course, that was the plan we laid out like last winter and last fall. And so, of course, the world changed a little bit when COVID happened. And we really had for a couple of weeks, a little bit of uncertainty as to how this was going to play out. And so I think we're extremely gratified that, you know, we were able to, you know, raise a round like this that was significantly oversubscribed um, with what we think is an incredible world-class group of investors who all we believe um, will, will be with us for the long journey here ahead to build out the company. Um, you know, the Series B was a significant around of, uh, amount of funding uh, on the back of already a pretty significant Series A, but we know that um, this will be a multi-year process. We'll probably need to raise more capital after the Series B. And so this is a moment in time where I think we can all, you know, say it was, it was an amazing experience. We, we, did most of the work through Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, so really, you know, you could probably do a whole nother podcast on what it's like to raise venture funding um, remotely, but that was sort of, and we're not the only company, but certainly um, it was a, a, an interesting experience. And, um, you know, I think we were extremely excited about, you know, what each of these investors brings to uh, the company beyond just dollars. That's terrific. And I noticed you've got institutional investors, you've got payers, you've got a provider, you have a, a corporate and exact Sciences. I mean, a smaller corporate, but a corporate. Was that your intention to build? Make sure every every possible, I guess, infrastructure in healthcare is sort of part of this story. Yeah. Well, you know, it takes a village, right? I think what we're trying to do fundamentally is um, novel um, and, and and unprecedented in in multiple ways, uh, such that you know we thought we'd be well advised to have um, the support and input of all those types of constituents. So that's exactly right. It's something where I think uh, you know we are. Um, we are actively looking to take advantage of all those, those resources because we know we'll need them. So um, it was purposeful, it was broad ranging, and you know, we're probably not done. Isaac Kendi, what has this uh, turbocharged ride been like for you? This is <laughs> an amazing two years. It's, it's, it's been, I think, a, a wild ride. And it is so satisfying uh, to, for that this turbocharges really allowed us to fulfill the the original our original in, intent mm -hmm. which is we have the technology right and we we to help um in our cancer fighting efforts and but we need the resources right we need the 
uh, not just the money, but uh, the, the people. And it has been um, really, really gratifying to see how quickly our efforts have been uh, uh, enhanced uh, and the quality of people that uh, we're adding to our mm-hmm. team almost <laughs> on a on a on a daily basis. Uh, you know that you know that you know. <laughs> uh, so it's it's just been uh, just really really fantastic experience. Talk talk to me about why you need this much money, and I think that would be a good combination question to what does a clinical trial pathway look like? Where, where do you go from here in, in proving what cancer, what you think cancer seek can do? So, you know, really the use of proceeds for the Series B are, are three principal uh, initiatives. One is to complete the um, uh, preparation work to finalize version one of our test, cancer seek. Um, and that lab work and computational work is ongoing as we speak. Um, the second piece is to uh, commence our FDA registrational trial, right? We want this test to be approved by the FDA. To do that, you need to run what will likely end up being one of the largest cancer screening studies ever done. And so that will be the biggest single um, budgetary item that I think about over the next couple of years, that we think about the next couple of years. The third piece Mm -hmm. is to start the groundwork for our commercial strategy because, you know, we're talking about an addressable market, you know, Americans over the age of 50, uh, that are asymptomatic and healthy, so far as they know, that's approaching 100 million people. And that's not the type of a um, market that you want to tap into with an on-off switch. You really want to step into it um, with, with beachheads to be gentle in your approach to make sure you do it well. And um, that means the work for commercial strategy begins essentially now, um, well before we have approval. And so that's really the third piece is building the commercial strategy. So that's really what the proceeds are going to be targeted for and um, happy to go into more detail on all that. What do these trials look like? You know, we're starting from um, a position of great, I think, uh, experience and knowledge precisely because we already have in hand um, the Detect A study, which I touched on earlier, right? It's a groundbreaking study uh, in what it showed and it's given us tremendous learnings as to um, what you would then want to do in a clinical trial, a registrational trial context, right? Which is broader, more rigorous, so on and so on. I think a couple of governing principles. One is um, we know that it should be um, prospective and interventional. Um, it needs to go after um, a cohort of patients that will you know, address um, both men and women. And um, we would like for it to be also multi-center because the DETECT-A study was run um, within the Geisinger Health System in Pennsylvania, which is, as you probably know, one of the world's Uh, one of the country's strongest health systems. We're great partners, grateful to work with them, but we need to cast a wider net to capture um, the um, totality of the U.S. population, socioeconomically and all that. Uh, And so we are going to be, this will be a nationwide study, right? Um, Those are probably the three or so most important uh, things that will be different. Um, It will also be just larger because um, we do want to ensure that uh, we have the ability statistically to show um, that we can find multiple cancer types. And I say multi-cancer very purposely because um, what we don't want to do is uh, suggest that this is a panacea, right? This is a technology that can be massively transformative and exciting. You'll find cancers that you would otherwise never have an ability to screen for, but it is unlikely that it will be able to find every cancer. That is not probably, so far as we know, you know where this technology is likely to take us, regardless of how one does it uh, in the near term. So um, having a large study, looking at multiple cancers, but maybe not all of them, 
these are the types of things that we think are really important to demonstrate um, all through the lens of safety because the FDA, of course, needs to ensure that whether it be in the form of overdiagnosis or unnecessary follow-up, that, that this type of a technology is extremely safe. Uh, we've done that with Detect A. We need to do it again in an FDA trial context. Final question. What is next? You kind of referenced this at the top that you're going to have a follow-up uh, uh, services sort of element to this as well. I mean, you, you're, uh, I'm, I'm 51. I go get my test. It tells me that there's presence of something somewhere. Where do, where do we go from here? How are you working with hospitals and societies to sort of to make sure this, whatever information you, you are able to, uh, to bring to light is used well? Yeah, it's a great question because um, I think there's a tendency when you imagine a technology like this to spend most of your energy and time asking about the technology, right? The mousetrap, um, because you want to be sure that it works, um, which is logical. I think once you've done that, you have to remember that you're doing all of this innovation in the context of the healthcare system, which we all know is complex. Um, and in particular, this is a technology that we intend to put in the hands of primary care physicians who, if you have any uh, sympathy mm -hmm. for primary care, it's been a challenging place to operate with not just COVID, but just the overall reality of um, high deductible plans, the rise of electronic medical record systems, all the technologies that try to funnel through those two bottlenecks. It's really difficult. And so we are spending a lot of time uh, thinking about implementation. How do you bring a technology like this, which is new and different, how do you bring it to a primary care doctor who by definition is probably not a cancer expert, probably not a diagnostics expert, but does live within those confines. And so we've got everything from software teams to user experience teams to regulatory teams thinking about how to implement um, this technology into a, uh, a world where in the US you're talking about over 200,000 primary care physicians in practice today, right? It's a, it's a massive and highly heterogeneous world of potential users that we want to serve and serve well. So um, that integrated service model, the ability to interface and provide navigation and decision support, all these tools, um, as well as to support patients, you know, those are things that we're investing in, again, now, even though we are still several steps away from having broad commercial availability. And Isaac Kent, I just wanted to to follow. I know I said last question, but I do this sometimes. <laughs> uh, the 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 breakthrough that you had with to, to Korea Patchy, and it, you, it was it detecting these materials that have come from tumors in the body, or it's not the detect the detect it's not the identification that those exist. It was the ability to find them in the bloodstream. Is that correct? Find them uh, in the bloodstream, and then uh, act on those findings in a way that could be um, uh, utilized for patient care. Uh, you know, th th that's what was, you know, truly the, the, the why we consider the, the detect a study uh, a landmark was that we didn't just screen for multiple cancers, but we did so in a way that that information could be used to intervene. Uh, and in some cases allowed uh, the, a type of therapy with curative intent, meaning uh, there's a high likelihood or a reasonable likelihood that the therapy um, that's applied to a patient could actually cure them uh, from disease. So that, that was um, uh, really the, 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 the big breakthrough uh, in, in the study. And kind of uh, that, that study, you know, we doubled, essentially doubled the number of cancers that could be detected by existing standard of care cancer um, screening methods uh, and 
I think owing to the design of the test, um, which is rooted in the, the mechanisms of cancer that uh, have been elucidated from our Hopkins founders as, as well as you know several others in the field, but it, it allowed us to detect cancers from uh, 10 different organs, um, in, including seven of which don't have screening options today. Uh, and it, we detected them, um, the majority of them, uh, cancers when while they're still localized uh, or regional, uh, meaning that uh, they had a higher chance of being cured than uh, more advanced cancers. And I would say the other um, piece to kind of really the, the, the groundbreaking work was that um, on top of all that, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the technology is safe. Uh, we had uh, greater than 99% specificity about um, any adverse events. Uh, so kind of co you know, collectively, you know, demonstrating that, you know, this type of blood test could work and then showing how it could work um, in the detect day study were, um, those are some of the, the reasons why we were quite, a, quite excited uh, from the success of the study. Just, but just so I understand, so the, the results from these tests, it's not just an indication that you have a high level of something that indicates something with your liver or another organ, but you're actually able to identify a, a treatment regimen that would, a therapy for that cancer? Or am I misunderstanding? No, no, no. We, we, we don't um, identify the, um, the, the treatment regimen. So okay. basically, our, our, the, the blood test um, sug, you know, suggests uh, the, the, the presence of a cancer. And then we follow up with um, imaging, in our case, uh, usually PET-CT. And that allows um, the practitioner uh, to uh, confirm where, where the cancer is. Uh, and then once, once you find out where the cancer is and the extent of the disease, the, the, the physicians involved in that patient's care uh, ultimately make the recommendation on how to best treat that particular cancer that's identified. So the, so the, the, the test will move then from the, the, it'll be applied first by the primary care physician, but then once you move obviously into dealing with anything that emerges, that moves into standard oncology practices. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. more, more or less. And, and that's, uh, because of that additional work that's required to actually act on the mm, results right. from the test, that's why the integrated service model is so important uh, because it facilitates those next steps to increase the chance that the um, test result will actually benefit that patient. Great. That's fascinating. And this will be my actual final question for Isaac Rowe. Um, reimbursement, is this something that's going to require its own code? I mean, uh, my, my, Physical reimbursement, I'm sure, is not very great. Right. Yeah. Reimbursement is obviously uh, critically important to um, the commercial success and the access to individuals, you know, over technology like this. Um, it's, it's early to speculate on exactly when and how that'll play out. But, um, you know, we are, you know, currently working through the existing paradigms that exist to, you know, build the evidence required to uh, ensure that we can illustrate value and, um, you know, the Detect A study gave us a tremendous start um, uh, because it was a real world study. And we have already a team working on the health economics around it. Um, we already have breakthrough designation from the FDA. And we're working in coalition with all the major stakeholders 
um, across the industry as well as across the regulatory environment um, and, and patient advocacy to to help bring this all to bear. And so, you know, while we don't know exactly um, when this will um, become a, a reality, we think all the groundwork is there. I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, you know, the importance of timing. And I, I think putting the technology aside, I think the timing around bringing this to bear from a reimbursement standpoint is quite favorable because um, there is a critical mass um, across all these constituents, uh, both of awareness and interest. Um, and there's certainly a need, you know, cancer is still the second largest killer in the United States every year. Um, most therapies are administered to patients who are metastatic and therefore have very poor outcomes with very expensive therapy. Um, we believe that every therapy will probably be more effective if it's applied to cancers at an earlier stage. And so, you know, we think we can be the tip of the sword in um, bending the curve on cancer, bending the curve on uh, outcomes. And, uh, you know, we have to generate that evidence, which is what we're working on. But um, we think, uh, you know, we're at a point in time where you can see it coming and, uh, you know, just stay tuned. Uh, and we're not alone. There are a lot of other companies doing it. And that's should give all of us comfort that, that it'll impact tremendous number of people. Absolutely. No, this is definitely one of those stories that uh, gives you hope. So I appreciate you both uh, taking so much time today to, uh, to share Thrive's uh, Thrive story. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. All right. It was great to hear the Thrive story, but it's even better to be back here with Chris Newmarker, Executive Editor of Life Sciences at Mass Device with our most read story of the week. Chris, survey says... COVID-19 testing, which little wonder. No we're, wonder at all. <laughs> That's what we're all talking about. What was the specific right. story? Well, I mean, really the specific story was um, you had like Sorrento uh, Therapeutics. They've entered into a licensing agreement with uh, Columbia University for their uh, COVID-19 saliva test. And, you know, they're, uh, they're claiming this thing's, you know, it's a good rapid one-step diagnostic test that gets results in 30 minutes. So they're... God, I hope so. Yeah, I know. They're submitting for an EUA and hoping to scale up some full-scale production. So here's to, here's to hoping that the, uh, you know, e, EUA let, lends more credence that, you know, this thing, this thing works and we can, you know, get more um, tests that can, you know, quick, quickly diagnose people. You know, at the same time, another really big story this week was uh, that uh, HHS and the DOD did another, uh, they did a $7.6 million contract with Hologic for, for more COVID-19 testing. But, but yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, you look at the situation, it's probably an us understatement to say that the U.S. is facing challenges right now when it comes to COVID testing. So it's, it's little wonder that any, any story about some kind of advance is getting attention. Absolutely. All right. Well, another great list, another great batch of articles from our fantastic news partners at Mass Device. Chris, how can folks find you, pitch stories to you, tell you what they're up to? Where can they find you? Hey, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on, t on Twitter at Newmarker, just like a Newmarker. Always happy to, to, uh, you know, to, to talk with people. Absolutely. And if folks have ideas for the podcast or our Device Talks Tuesday series, you can find me on Twitter at MedTechTom, on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, and uh, would love to hear from you as well. That's it, folks. If you could do us a few favors, share this podcast with your friends, share it on your social media networks, connect with Chris and I. We'd love to be part of those conversations. Please give us a ranking and uh, or give us uh, some comments on uh, Spotify, on iTunes. We're available through all the major channels. We'd love to uh, hear how we're doing. And uh, finally, don't forget to read Mass Device for all the latest MedTech news. And of course, Tune into Device Talks Tuesdays for uh, that 
in-person event experience on your computer. We're going to uh, take a bit of a hiatus for Device Talks Tuesdays. We'll restart early in September. So uh, keep your eye on devicetalks.com for more information. Yeah, with everybody screaming, do we say that uh, it's now a new season for Device Talks Tuesday? Yes, season that's two? right. Season two, yes. All yes. right. Yeah, so if you want to... be even better than season one. That'd be great. Well, season one was pretty fantastic. And if anyone wants to binge watch season one, it's all available on devicetalks.com as well. They're all available on all demand. Right. So check that out. All right. Well, thanks, folks. Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Stay safe and healthy.